Hello, Frighters. I'm Holland Elise, and this is Fight or Fright. Hello, lovely Frighters, and welcome to Fight or Fright. Welcome, 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 welcome to Fight or Fright. Another episode, another week. All right, guys, I know last week was super awful and bad and disturbing with Roche Therio, and I had my lovely roommate slash guest, Brianna, but this week is going to be a little lighter. I say a little lighter because it's still a disappearance. It's still a mystery. People are still gone and no one knows what happened to them, but it's not as awful as last week's because that one was real, just such a downer, y'all. But there's not really any business to get to this week, so I'm just going to get started. And sorry, this episode might be a little bit shorter. I only got so much information on this because it happened in the 1800s. But I promise it's still good, still a mystery. All right, let's get to it. So Benjamin Spooner Briggs was born on April 24th, 1835. He was born in Wareham, Massachusetts, and he was raised by a mother and father. I didn't get their names, but the father worked as a sea captain. Benjamin, along with most of his siblings, ended up also becoming sea captains when they grew up. Benjamin, in particular, was very religious. He was Christian. He knew the Bible like the back of his hand, and he went to Bible studies constantly, every week. Benjamin Briggs also ended up marrying his cousin, Sarah Elizabeth. I only saw in one place that Sarah Elizabeth was his cousin, so I'm just going to specify that. But they had two kids. They had a son named Arthur and a daughter, Sophia. Arthur was older than Sophia, and on October 20th, 1872, Captain Benjamin Spooner Briggs went to Pier 50 on the East River in New York City. He was there because, like I said, he was a sea captain, like his father, and he needed to oversee the loading of the cargo that the ship, the Mary Celeste, which he was captaining, was going to take. They were taking 1,701, 1,701 barrels of industrial alcohol. So he was there just to oversee the loading of it to make sure everything went smoothly. A week later, Sarah Elizabeth and their daughter, Sophia, joined him in New York. He remarked on how great the condition of the Mary Celeste was, which, did we learn nothing from things like the Titanic? Oh, wait, shit, this was the 1800s, so it was before the Titanic. But still, we should have learned from all of these things you don't jinx it like that. It's like Murphy's Law. If you say how great something is, inevitably something's going to happen. Like I said, I was wrong. The Titanic was after, but still they called it the unsinkable ship and then it sinks. Like you don't, you don't do that. Anyway, (laughs) this voyage on the Atlantic seemed doomed to begin with because they started out with uncertain weather. They moved from the pier in New York to Staten Island, but they stayed on Staten Island because of the uncertain weather for two days. 
They stayed there for the two days. During this time, Sarah wrote a note to her son, Arthur, who was staying with her in-laws because he was not going to be traveling with them because of school. She wrote to the in-laws saying to let Arthur know she will take note of anything that would be of interest to him during the voyage so that when they got back, she could tell him all about it. They finally left on their voyage on November 5th, 1872. Captain Benjamin Briggs handpicked his seven crewmen for this trip. And like I said, he also had his wife and daughter on the boat. They were going to be going to Genoa, Italy, which I probably said that wrong, but G-E-N-O-A, Italy. Like I said before, the Mary Celeste was carrying 1,701 barrels of industrial alcohol. And according to the logs, they battled bad weather the whole way. And their last log talked about reaching the Azores at 5 a.m. on November 25th, 1872. And this is the last log and the last contact from the crew on the Mary Celeste. No one had heard from them after this. Ten days later, another boat, the Degratia, which was 400 miles from the Azores, which is an autonomous region of Portugal, So, like I said, 10 days later, which was December 5th, 1872, the captain of the De Gratia, Captain David Morehouse, noticed that there was a boat adrift in the distance and he changed course so he could see what was going on and give any assistance if the boat needed it. He found that the boat was the Mary Celeste and Captain Morehouse thought this was odd because the Mary Celeste should have already made it to Italy since they left eight days after the Mary Celeste. So Captain Morehouse sent a boarding party to the Mary Celeste so that they could take a look and see what was going on because it was rough water. (laughs) It was rough waters and the Mary Celeste was just adrift. So he wanted to just check on everything. The boarding party noticed that the charts were haphazard and just thrown about. But on the other hand, everything else was pristine, like the living quarters. And they noticed that the only lifeboat aboard the Mary Celeste was missing. They noticed two of the pumps were disassembled. There was three and a half feet of water that filled the ship's bottom. And the cargo, the industrial alcohol, was all intact. There was Seemingly nothing missing and nothing wrong with the barrels. There was still food and water for the crew. And in some sources, it even said that there was still food out like it had been being eaten. I only saw that in like one place, but I saw it somewhere. So I thought I'd add that in. But other than the lifeboat and all of that, the only thing that seemed to be missing was any sign of life. There was no one on the boat None of those 10 people that were originally on the Mary Celeste were there. They were just gone. And so obviously that is weird. What happened to the Mary Celeste? So there's a lot of theories, a lot of theories. There is a theory that there was a crazed mutiny on board, that this came about because there were some marks on the boat on the walls that kind of seemed like they could be like axe marks or from like a sharp object. 
and they thought maybe the crew got drunk on the alcohol that they were carrying as cargo, and they rose up and went against the captain. But, I mean, that's questionable, because where were they? Like, you couldn't find anyone, so even if that happened, wouldn't, if they rose up against the captain, wouldn't the captain and his family still be on there, even if the crazed mutiny people went on the lifeboat? So... It's questionable. And also, why would they find the barrels of alcohol intact and nothing missing? Everything seemed fine with the alcohol. So I think, as you can see, there's a few flaws in this theory. Another theory is that North African pirates boarded the ship and took them. Again, what would be the point? And this is probably unlikely because the pirates didn't take any of the belongings the people's belongings were still in pristine condition. So the only thing that was kind of amiss was all of the charts and logs, but it didn't seem that any of the charts or logs were missing. So I don't know, seems a little iffy there. But along these lines of, of basically greed, I would say, is that the De Gratia had something to do with the people disappearing on this ship. This is because in this time, if someone found an abandoned ship and brought it back, a lot of times the company that owned the boat would give them some salvage money, some insurance payout because they brought the boat back. So it was thought that maybe the De Gratia brought back the boat and got rid of the people so that they could get the insurance payout and the money from the boating company. And they did something to the crew in order to do this. And along these lines, it's also thought that maybe Captain Benjamin Briggs faked his and his family's death in order to receive the salvage money through a co-conspirator. But there's issues with these two theories. Before I go into those, I want to talk a little bit about the insurance hearing that occurred with the De Gratia. So the De Gratia took the abandoned Mary Celeste to Gibraltar, where there was an insurance payout hearing. Usually this is just, are the crewmen going to receive the insurance money and payout? But with Attorney General Frederick Sally Flood, it more became a hearing on if the De Gratia had anything nefarious to do with the disappearance of the people and crewmen on the Mary Celeste. They weren't charged with any wrongdoing after a three-month investigation, but even though they weren't charged, they only ended up receiving one-sixth of the insurance payment that they were supposed to get. This was because there were still suspicions on the De Gratia, but these scenarios didn't make sense. What would the De Gratia, I mean, yes, they would get the insurance payout, but it just seems a little convoluted to get rid of 10 people in order to receive an insurance payout. And also, there's a difference between like the men and the crewmen and then killing a woman and a child. You have to remember that Captain Briggs' two-year-old daughter and wife were on that ship with him. Yes, maybe someone could have done something to the rest of the crew, but a woman and a child are a much different scenario. And yes, they had some insurance payout, 
But what would they have to gain? Because they had to have known that this would be investigated. It's weird. People just disappeared. They had to get that they would be under suspicion because they were the ones that found the boat. So I just don't understand what what would happen and why why they would have any just anything to do with it. Also, they left eight days after. So their logs recorded this, that they left eight days after. So if they left eight days after, how could they have caught up to them, especially since they already thought that they should have been in Italy? So it just doesn't seem like the De Gratia had anything to do with this. And along those lines, if the Briggs had anything to do with this, if Captain Brigg wanted to fake his family's death for insurance money through a co-conspirator, why wouldn't they bring the son? Why would they leave the son with the in-laws? Wouldn't they want to have their son with them and he could also fake his death or whatever and be with his family? Why would they put their son Arthur through the trauma and tragedy of faking their own deaths? Why wouldn't they just bring him on the boat? I mean, they were already bringing Sophia, so... I just don't see why that would be a thing. And obviously, you can't have a disappearance of a boat without alien abductions. I would love this. I'm not really going to go into this theory. It's kind of ridiculous. I highly doubt that an alien abduction occurred. And, you know, because they were faced with bad weather, there was theories that there was a water spout, which is basically a tornado at sea, Maybe there was a sudden sea quake. Either of these could have caused water logging or the three and a half uh, inches of water or three and a half feet, something like that. One minute. Sorry, three and a half feet. This could have caused the three and a half feet of water at the bottom of the boat. And that could maybe be enough to make them think that something was going to happen, an abandoned ship. I don't know. Finally, there was a theory that because of the industrial alcohol and turbulence, because the waters were so severe and just wild, that alcohol fumes could have escaped, making Captain Briggs think that a small explosion was possible aboard the ship, and he gave orders to abandon the ship. So basically, this was just another mystery, and at that time, there was no Reddit or internet or anywhere to speculate what happened to this ship. So it kind of just went to the wayside until one Sir Oth- Sir <laughs> until one Sir Arthur Conan Doyle wrote something on the matter. This brought back up the mystery, but no one could solve it and it was in the ether for a little bit. But it wasn't until the 2000s when an investigative documentarian named Anne McGregor decided to investigate the disappearance of the people and crewmen on the Mary Celeste and look into this mystery. Like I said, she had done these investigative documentaries before, so this was not new to her. She started with Frederick Sally Flood's notes on the incident. These were the notes from the investigation into the insurance salvage payment. Because it was the 1800s, this was the only thing that Anne McGregor had to go on. These notes were all she had. So the only thing that was 
one thing that was found that I hadn't spoken of yet in these notes when Anne McGregor went to look at them was that two of the crewmen were brothers. They were the Lorenzo brothers and they were on the Mary Celeste, but there were no possessions found for them on the boat. So in the 2000s, when Anne McGregor found this, she spoke to the Lorenzo brothers' descendants and she was told that there was proof in letters and things that the Lorenzo brothers had lost their possessions in a shipwreck in 1872 before this voyage. That's why they didn't have anything on the boat because they lost everything in a shipwreck. Then the issue was, did Briggs give the order to abandon ship and why? This is a rare call for a captain to make. It is only done in very dire circumstances. So what would make him make this call? The ship was intact and it was sailable. We know it was sailable because the De Gratia crew got on the ship and sailed it to Gibraltar with no issues. So why would he have given the order to abandon ship if there was nothing wrong with the boat? So during this documentary, Anne McGregor went to Massachusetts to speak to Arthur Briggs' descendants. Like I said, Arthur was at school. So he didn't disappear. He was still alive and well and lived with his with lived with his grandparents. So they spoke to Arthur's descendants and they said that Captain Benjamin Briggs was a well-respected captain in the boating community and his father, like I said, worked in this business. So it was kind of like a family affair. No one had any reason to believe that Captain Briggs was irrational or to question him or his morals at all. So basically what they're saying is, no, they didn't just leave and fake their deaths. There was nothing to question this. And also, why would Sarah Elizabeth have written a letter saying that she was going to tell Arthur all about the cool things that they experienced on the boat when they got back if she wasn't planning on coming back? I mean, I know it could have been a little like, sidestep trying to get off of their, trying to get the investigators off their tail so that no one thought that they did anything. But still, I just don't, I just kind of agree that there was no reason to believe that Captain Briggs would have done this. And Captain Briggs, according to the notes, found that they had headed north to Santa Maria Island. Maybe this was for shelter. And this was also a part of Frederick Sally Flood's notes that they were 120 miles west of where they thought they were. By Captain Briggs' calculation, they should have sighted land three days before they did. So that's weird. And from what I read, it seems like Anne McGregor found and said that with the ship being off course, this could be due to a faulty chronometer. I think that's how you say it. Um, this faulty chronometer... And the small of, amount of water at three and a half feet of water at the bottom of the ship, there was no way at this time for Captain Benjamin Briggs to know that this wouldn't get worse. When he saw that the water was coming into the ship, he could have thought that it would flood or sink the ship. And with the faulty chronometer, he wouldn't have known when they would hit land and if they were close enough to land in order to get there safely. So 
This could be enough to have caused Captain Briggs to give the order to abandon ship. And the 10 people got on the boat, the only lifeboat that the ship had. And in this time, one source that I saw said it was kind of like a 50-50% chance that if they got on the lifeboat that they would even make it to land and wouldn't just die at sea. So I don't know. It's just, it's it's interesting because I don't really know how I, where I land on this. I think that the simplest answer is probably the right one, which is if it is, if it was proven and found that they were 120 miles away from where they thought they were and their, their direction slash guide was the chronometer, as I saw, if that was off, then yeah, if you start having water come to the bottom of the ship, you would get nervous. That's not a good thing, having water. And you can't know that the water is going to stop coming in. You just assume that your boat's going to sink and you need to give the order to abandon ship. I think that that's the most logical reason and most logical thing that happened. I'm not 100% sure because this happened so long ago that I don't think we'll ever truly, truly know what happened. But I do think it's logical to believe that he was nervous. They weren't, he didn't see land. He didn't know where they were. His crew was possibly in danger because of the water coming from the bottom of the ship. As much as I would love to think that it was some pirates, well, I say love in a morbid kind of way, I guess. But as interesting as it would be for it to be pirates or an alien abduction where they just up and disappeared because aliens took them, I highly doubt those things are true. Usually the easiest and most logical explanation is probably what happened. And in this case, I think that they saw water coming in the boat. They were nervous. They didn't know if it would stop. So they just ended up going to the lifeboat so that they could try and save themselves. In their mind, their boat was sinking. So either they sink with the boat or they take a 50-50 chance, get on the lifeboat and try and save themselves. So I think that that's probably what happened. And so now for the Friday's over. Anyway, so this is going to be sort of a short one. A waitress in Florida named Flavine Carvalho was at a restaurant working, and the restaurant was called Miss Potato. She noticed something odd on New Year's Day. There was a boy that was bruised on his face and arms. The waitress decided to make a sign asking the boy, do you need help? Okay. She showed this sign to the boy, and she was in a place where no one else but this boy with bruises could see. The parents couldn't see other siblings because there were other people at the table. Only this little boy could see. At first, he shook his head no, but she waited a little bit longer and then showed him the sign again, and that time he ended up nodding yes. She called the restaurant owner for marching orders and to ask him what she should do. They decided that the police needed to be informed and involved, so she called the police, and they found that this poor boy was being severely abused, and that Flavine most likely saved his life. This 11-year-old 
told the story to detectives of his abuse, but I would venture to say more likely that it would be considered torture. He had straps tied around his ankles. He'd been hung upside down. He was beaten with wooden broom handles while being handcuffed. And there was so much more. That's just all I could stomach to put down. And after the boy talked to detectives, his stepfather, Timothy Wilson II, was arrested for third-degree child abuse. That was all they could get on with the information at that time. But as they investigated more and more, they charged him with endangerment, neglect, and some other things. This boy's mother was also arrested and admitted that she knew of the abuse, and so she was charged also. So this 11-year-old boy and the other children in the home were taken out of the care of these parents, thank God, and put into foster homes and things like that so that they could be protected, which is amazing. And all I got to say is, you go, Flavine, for saving this little boy's life and probably his siblings too, because he's probably not the only one that's being abused. So way to go. People are awesome. Not everyone, but most people are awesome. And I just got to say, when I saw this, it came up as like a news alert on my iPhone. And I was like, ooh, this sounds interesting. And so I saw it and I just got to say, you go, Flavine. Way to be, way to be on top of it. And way to just go with your gut and be like, something's up here. This is not right. So that is The Fright is Over. And that is this week's episode of Fight or Fright. Sorry, like I said, this week's is going to be a little bit shorter because I could only find so much information on the Mary Celeste disappearance of the crew people. But that's this week's episode of Fight or Fright. Join me next week. It will be a longer episode. And I hope you enjoyed this week's little mystery after last week's really dark episode. So you can find me on social media at Fight or Fright Pod on Instagram and Facebook. You can find me on Twitter at Fight Fright Pod. You can email me at fightorfrightpod at gmail.com. And finally, on TikTok, I am underscore Holland Elise underscore. So you can find me there too. I like to do fun videos whenever I can. So again, I hope you enjoyed this. If you did, please, please, please rate and review on Apple Podcasts. It really does help me. I'm doing this for fun, but I would really love your support. If you can't go to uh, Apple Podcasts and give a rating or review, please just tell friends about this show and join me next week where I discuss a whole new case. And remember, guys, don't fight this fright. Till next week. Bye. Thanks for joining me for another episode of Fight or Fright. You can find me on Instagram and Facebook at Fight or Fright Pod and on Gmail at Fight or Fright Pod at gmail.com. Twitter is the only one that's a little bit different in there, and that's at Fight Fright Pod. And if you enjoyed this episode, I would really appreciate it. And it would really help me if you rate and review on Apple Podcasts. Even just spreading the word to family, friends, people you know that enjoy true crime, mysteries, paranormal, all of that kind of stuff. And this is Holland. And I'll see you next week when I tell you another crazy story. And remember, you don't have to fight 
this bright.